Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. LMFM Podcasts with CNC Carpets. We bring the showroom to you. Or you can book a personal consultation at our fabulous new showroom in Moortown, Dramiskin. Call 87 237 or visit our website at cnccarpets.com to book an appointment. CNC Carpets for all your carpet and wood flooring needs. Welcome to Thursday afternoon's late lunch on LMFM Radio on National Tree Day. Yes, today is National Tree Day right across Ireland. Did you know that? And how important they are. We're going to talk about it for the next while. And I'm delighted to welcome her back to the show. She's one of her own from County Loud. She's a biologist, environmentalist, broadcaster, Irish Times, Iron Nature columnist. I told you I never miss it each week. And of course, she is president of the Tree Council of Ireland. Aina Nilauna, hello again. Hello, how are you doing? Good to talk to you. And you too. Well, first off, would you explain to our listeners why it's important to acknowledge trees and have a day like this, Aina? Well, now, I'm here in Rathoth in the primary school, in the junior primary school here, because, as you said, I'm president of the Tree Council and we're here to plant a holly tree because that's the tree we're planting this year. And if you wondered why it was important, I just came in out of the noise and the racket because I wanted to talk on the radio. The kids are having a ball. They're planting the tree. They're looking at the berries. They're learning about the leaves and the prickles on them. And they're walking around their school garden where they have made wonderful scarecrows, no less, to keep away the crows <laughs> from attacking their things. So you can just understand how important it is for schools and for children to be outdoors learning about trees and wildlife outside. So that's what National Tree Day is about. It's SPAR National Tree Day this year because SPAR are our sponsors and we are having the the, the slogan is called Rooting for Nature. So we're rooting for nature under the tree at SPAR. We're planting the tree in the soil with its big roots and this is what happens every year at this time. It's an educational day and this is this is this is every year now for the last I don't know, twenty years or so we've been doing this. So it's it's been very worthwhile really. It is. And and you know, I know schools are now planting the holly this year and they have trees from previous years as well. So they're developing their own little woodland. But when you mention roots, you know, we all see the graciousness of the leaves when it's in bloom. Some lose them, some don't. The size, different sizes of trees we see uh, the the uh, branches, we see uh, the bark and everything like that. But the roots, Aina, there's something magical happens beneath the ground, isn't there? Absolutely. I mean, the roots nearly are, in a way, the most important part. Mm. I mean, they have two main jobs. First of all, they hold the tree in the ground so it doesn't fall over. Yes. But the other thing that people sometimes don't realise is that the only way the tree can take in water is through its roots. So if you just watered the leaves and went away and somehow stopped the water from falling on the ground, the tree would die. So it needs to get its water into the roots. So the roots expand under the ground the same distance as the branches and the leaves do over ground. You know, sometimes you think, well, there's the tree, like a mushroom, a stem and this big crown on it. And you don't think that under the ground, the roots are going out the very same distance underneath and they're taking the water from all of that area as part of helping the tree to grow. So it is a magical area. There's fungi in there then and the mycelium and little treads. And in fact, now we've discovered that from two trees in a woodland, molecules can move via these fungi. It's kind of like the wood wide web, how they can share nutrients and the like. So there's a whole world going on under the tree. And this is what we're celebrating with the bottle this year, Rooting for Nature. 
And when you talk about life and human life on this planet and all types of life, we share this planet, which we probably don't think about as t- at times as human beings, with everything else. Trees play such an important part in life. Well, they absolutely do, because, I mean, trees, I mean, and the fact that they grow and they have leaves, this is actually the only way that we can get oxygen. They take the carbon dioxide molecule in the air, they break it open, they keep all the carbon in their tree, in the tree as as timber. That's what timber is, carbon taken Mm. from the air, and then they give off the oxygen for us to breathe. So they are a huge ally, they're a huge friend in the battle against climate change, in the battle against reducing the amount of carbon that's in the atmosphere. So they're our friend in that respect. They're our friend in giving us um, plenty of oxygen to breathe. They're our friend then because they're, they're biodiversity for other creatures and wildlife to live in. So they're, they're really good neighbours of ours in a sense to have, to have nearby. So we should all be interested in planting more of them than, than we do because we could do with more trees in Ireland. We have one of the least wooded trees in Europe we have only 11% of the country covered in trees, whereas the European average is about 38%. Mm. So we should be we should be planting more, actually. And native trees, as you said to me before, native trees are the ones, folks. Oh, I'm glad you were listening. Now that's great when people actually <laughs> listen to what I say. We have 28 native species, and if you like, they 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 they're the ones they're the top achievers in having having um, biodiversity associated with them. Because at the end of the last age, 10,000 years ago, we had no trees at all. The place was covered in ice. Then the ice retreated. The trees moved up from southern Europe. Sea wind blew them, and then the birds came and did their droppings. And so the trees came slowly, and they brought their cargo of of creepy crawlies and associated hangers on which we call biodiversity, came with them. Whereas if you say decided you were going to plant a eucalyptus tree in your garden and you got the seed from Australia and you planted it, well, I mean, you're not bringing koala bears and you're not bringing all the different <laughs> creepy crawlies from Australia to go yes. with it. You have the tree, but it's there, bare and baldy. It doesn't have its associated biodiversity. So this is why our native trees are better for biodiversity because the biodiversity came with them when they came here indeed. And Aina, coming back to the holly tree, it's a fascinating one as well because the saplings you're planting in schools today, you don't know whether they're boys or girls. Well, this is the thing because holly and and you, in fact, are the only two trees in Ireland that you can have a male tree or a female tree. So the male trees are the ones that the flowers will have pollen in them and the female trees are the ones that will have the berries. So if you have a holly tree in your garden and there's no berries on it, it's like expecting your husband have a baby it's a boy it's not going to do it yes. so you have to look at the look at the flowers in spring and see if the pollen or is a female flower and see then which it's going to be but do we need male flowers too I mean we need male hollies to, to do but the wind blows the pollen so one or two males will do a job on the whole parish if you like <laughs> and people prefer to have the female ones but we've gotten these we've gotten these um, 2,000 trees that we've sent out and like any collection of things that these are native ones grown from seeds mm. and brought here especially to school and post about so it's 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 chance for you to yes. get a boy one or a girl one but I mean you know it doesn't matter if you get one you can get another one at another stage and yeah. you know it'll be it'll have berries as well I mean the idea is having having the tree and growing it there for 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 nectar and for wildlife and indeed then for for um, the berries afterwards yes Rose has just messaged me and as we're speaking to say you have to plant two holly trees Jerry one male one female well Rose when there's saplings you don't know so as Aina says you take your chance but we we hear what you're saying but coming back no, to well, the you don't but she's not no no you don't I okay. mean, if you plant a female one there were any male in the parish will we'll do that correct action, correct you said that yeah. I yeah. mean the, 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 the lads in the Hollywood are much more gregarious <laughs> one or two is enough for the whole place <laughs> good to hear so there you are Rose answered by the expert for you now come back so to don't, the, don't worry too much no no, no. come, yeah, come yeah. back to the berries because here's what I want to ask you Um berries and birds you know I see in my garden I have some ash in that and they throw a lovely berry and at a time the starlings appear and they just strip them how do the berries survive on the um, the holly well they don't survive on the holly either I mean the berries are eaten by the mistle thrushes in particular yeah. thrushes love them but because they're not as obvious as the ones on your mountain ash yes. which hang, hang around in great bushes and of course as you know the mountain ash is deciduous the leaves fall off and mm. the berries are left there hanging in great yes. bunches you know, I mean, it's only asking for trouble. But I mean, the trees want their berries to be eaten. That's the whole point. That's yeah. why they make them. 
and make them so conspicuous because inside and every buried is a stone, there's a seed and that must pass through the gut of a bird in order for a new tree to grow. So if nobody went near the berries, there wouldn't be any new trees in the, in the, in the nature in the world and in the world in the native woodland. So like you might be giving out about starlings, but as long as they do their poos nearby, <laughs> you're going to have lots more of the mountain ash growing. And then you see it'll be the same with the holly, but they're, they're harder. The hollies don't really get their really red berries until Christmas time until it gets cold. Yeah. Yes. And then the birds are starving, and they, they come along and they find them and they peck them. And again, holly trees then are, are um, grown from their droppings. If you go into a woodland at all, you quite often see holly right in under a tree, far too near, you might think. Mm. Who planted that holly tree right on top of the other one? And we know it's the bird up in the thing. We had a call in nature and it's dropping just there and under the tree. And the tree grew because a lot of these trees that they perch in are deciduous as well and don't have leaves in the wintertime. So there's just plenty of light for them to grow. So it all works out fine. I mean, holly is a native, a native understory tree. Quillen, quillen is the Irish word for it. So we have places like Moy Cullen and Glen Cullen and Cullen's Wood and things like that called after the holly tree. Interesting. But not Cullen and County Loud. Not Cullen and County Loud, no. It's called after the hazel tree, which is Coll. So Cullen is spent C-O-L-L-O-N, and that's after the hazel. But Quillen, Quillen is the, is the holly. There you go. And this is what I love about this every day. I learn every day I sit in here. Now, the other thing is variegated holly. And my sister-in-law has a beautiful variegated holly tree that sp- springs loads of berries every year. Well, if you like that kind of thing, I suppose. Is that is that a non-native? Look, variegated means that they've given the tree a virus that eats the chlorophyll. Oh. So the chlorophyll is gone. Oh, I see. yellow instead. Oh, my God. It's all. So it's not like... So people like stripy trees. They're like... And this is the yes. garden thing. So yeah. take an ordinary holly to give it this thing. It doesn't kill. It's not a virus like COVID or anything. It, but it just, it just destroys some of the chlorophyll. So you get a yellow and, and green. You're and not a fan. You're not a fan, Aina. Not at all. Why would you be doing that to the poor tree? For? Because it only works on it only works on half cylinders. I mean, it can't grow if you've only got. In fact, in fact, if you get um, a berry off that and plant it, grow something, you'll probably get a proper green tree back again. You I know? see. This is just a, a garden variety that people like in their gardens. Mm. But you don't see you don't see those kinds of trees in the wild because they wouldn't survive. They wouldn't grow as fast as, as ordinary holly. Okay. It's just the cost of the, the cost of the ones that are minded in the garden. But sure, people grow things in their garden for their pleasure, not necessarily, you know, for 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 wildlife reasons it's just to, and why wouldn't they why wouldn't they grow nice things in their garden but I'm not cracked about variegated holly myself there you go so and, and everyone to their own I like Absolutely. it it's a little bit different but mean she isn't happy with her <laughs> grand yeah. and it's interesting to see that man has intervened or woman there to to, to organise that that, it, that it's slightly different but back to the natives and, and what we talked about before those horrendous green things that came into the country and were planted all over the bloody place Leylandes and and, and and they're like, do you think the penny is dropping, that that era is gone? Well, I, I hope so. I gave out enough for all my life. I mean, Leilandii is a tree whose mammy and daddy weren't even married to each other. They have a different father and a different mother, two different species. Mm. And they were actually um, crossbred, if you like, in, in, by Mr. Leyland in a nursery in England to produce a kind of a cypress tree that would grow really, really quickly. And by gums, if this thing grow really, really quickly, it can grow to 30, 40 feet. And then people are complaining there's no light and they're complaining that they're, they're growing too fast and they can't get a cut. I don't know what the name of goodness they were doing. But no tree in nature behaves like that. That really is a a, a, a hybrid that that grows very vigorously. So, I mean, I think people are beginning to realise that these things are more trouble than they're worth or the management that is required from them and the heavy shade that they cast. So people building and putting out garden hedges and things now don't tend to do this in the same way as they did because they've seen the error of their ways. I mean, this mm. is a recent thing. When I was young in County Loud, me and Finn McCool, there was none of this carry-on in Saban. We didn't have those kinds of things there. You know, so this, this is recently in the last in the last 50 years or so that these things have come in, come in popularly, you know. So, I mean, mm. I'd say it's a fashion and a phase and people won't be planting them any longer because something to be said for them. No, and there really isn't. I'm with you all the way on that one. No, maybe you can solve a little problem for myself. Laburnum. Is Laburnum a native or not? Laburnum is a native. Okay. It's a, 
it's a member of the pea family but the problem with laburnum is that the seeds the pods that are on them are absolutely poisonous mm. and you can you know you wouldn't want to be eating laburnum yes. but I mean there's lots of things that are native that are poisonous lords and ladies those things that have the red berries in the autumn time on the ground I mean they're poisonous the berries on the yew tree is the only part of the yew tree that isn't poisonous the seeds are poisonous the, the leaves are poisonous and they're native as well so just because it's poisonous doesn't mean it isn't native no laburnum laburnum is, is, is a native one all mm. right it's, it's more a bush than a tree really yeah I put it, it, it in I suppose over 20 years ago as a little one and it grew majestically and the lovely yellow flowers and, and then yeah, as the you said the, but they're yeah. gorgeous yeah. when they do but uh, Aina it's died on me the blimmin tree died I saw it last year first and I hoped against hope it didn't really blossom and it's absolutely dead and when I cut a branch there's a brown ring in the centre of each branch whatever the yeah. hell got into well, it some fungus maybe or maybe if he's planted it 20 years ago I mean it's not a tree it's more a big shrub so maybe it's it's reached its, its, life, yes. its lifespan in yes. life. or maybe maybe I mean sometimes there's a lot of fungal diseases and things and that might have caused it to die a drought in the sense that the water couldn't move up through the woods and, mm. and cause it to die in a drought you'd have to get another one get another tree as well I am I yeah, am. Yeah. What What do you recommend? What should I get? Holly trees. There's holly trees. I love trees. I'd get a holly. Okay. <laughs> I'll get a holly so and I'll put it in yeah, because I'll I'm... get a girl if you want fairies. <laughs> Fingers crossed that I will. But anyway, but you can buy them. Can I buy them beyond the seventh year when you do know really whether they're boys or girls? Oh, you can, of course. I mean, yes. you can go into it because pay a bit more. The bigger the yeah. the more you pay. Yeah. For it. Yeah. But you know, you lie awake at night worrying and spend your money so you're no problem with <laughs> a holly tree. I wish, Aina, but there you are. There was a lot of other things worrying me for sure. But no, tell, remind us again. Where are you today? You're in the North East. You're in Ratholt. I'm in, I'm in Ratholt, in the primary school in Ratholt. It's the junior primary school. And we've been out planting a holly tree because it's, it's, it's Spar National Tree Day. And Spar has sponsored the forest this year. And also, um, the, the Spar have given each school a whole set of colouring posters. And they've been colouring these in. You can get them in the shops as well, too, if they're not all gone. And there's prizes then for the best ones coloured in. I don't know how they're going to judge that God love them. But mm. anyway, they will. Mm. So it's all, it's all part of celebrating Spar National Tree Day, you know, one of the events of the Tree Council of Ireland, of which I am the president. Now that I get all the plugs in there. You got it. everything in 100%. They love you to bits. You'll never relinquish that role, I can tell you. It's yours. Oh, no, it's a three year role. You told me after three years. Ah, uh, listen. I'd hold on to everything forever, no? Why wouldn't you? Because you're absolutely brilliant and you're so good to us. And I'm delighted to have you with us on this special day. And will you say hello to everybody there and retold from us on LMFM Radio and wish them well? And we wish all the schools well who've planted their trees this very day. It's so, so important. Best wishes to you, Aina. Thank you very much indeed. Great to talk to you now. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. That's Aina Neelowna there from Stabannon in County Loud, President of the Tree Council of Ireland. Do try and plant a tree this year. You know, and it's coming into the season where the bare-rooted trees will be available to plant as the season goes dormant and you can get a tree in do it. I have to do it. My laburnum is gone. My beautiful laburnum with the yellow tassels on it. I'm going to have to take it down, which I will do over the coming weeks. And I'm going to I'm going to do that. I'm going to get a holly of an age that I know that's a girl that has the berries on it as well. Now, we move on on the show this afternoon and I'm delighted to say hello to my next guest. He is the Professor of Dermatological Science at UCD and Director of the Charles Institute of Dermatology. Professor Desmond Tobin, welcome to Late Lunch. Thanks, Jerry. Pleasure to be here. And it's great to have you with us on the show. First off, I just want to talk to you about the waiting lists. And I know you're on top of this yourself. Waiting lists of approximately, what, 40,000 people looking to see specialists in this area. But there's a new initiative involving GPs. Will you tell me about that, please? Absolutely. There is a, a very long waiting list. I think uh, dermatology represents probably the fourth longest outpatient waiting list uh, in Ireland at the moment, between probably 40 and 50,000. Uh, I'm not a clinician myself, but I am involved in dermatology education here at UCD. Uh, and so there have been many attempts to try and figure out how to reduce these waiting lists, given that the number of actual dermatologists is relatively low in Ireland, about 50 in the uh, hospital setting in Ireland, although there are more in the private 
private sector. Um, so there have been different attempts to try and reduce this waiting list. And the attempt that we're involved with is to try and increase the uh, dermatology education amongst GPs so that they are more confident in their diagnosis of the common skin diseases uh, seen locally in the towns and villages of Ireland rather than up referring unnecessarily to consultants in some of the fewer uh, centres, for example, up in Dublin. So uh, this you expect with time, with these GPs being trained and more all the time, will ease that waiting list? Yes, because unfortunately, and this may be a surprise to your listeners, there isn't a lot of dermatology content in mm. the medical school examination for doctors as they're, as they're learning their, you know, their content in the university system. Uh, so unfortunately, GPs often uh, come, go out into the community and set up their, their practices with relatively uh, little uh, you know, knowledge of, say, hair, hair disorders or some skin disorders. Uh, so this particular course, which is a, a postgraduate uh, uh, certificate in clinical dermatology, allows those GPs to register for the course and get taught by up to 20 different uh, consultant dermatologists on an online course uh, across the perhaps the 10 most common skin diseases that they're likely to see uh, so that they can be more, uh, you know, feel more assured as to their, uh, their treatment of those patients locally uh, rather than unnecessarily up-referring up them uh, to a consultant dermatologist. Now, you are a researcher, as you say, and you specialise in a couple of areas. Pigmentation is a word I see all the time when I read about you and <laughs> hair follicle health. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, of course, research into alopecia, which, you know, a lot of people live with, uh, as you know, uh, Des. Um, t- t- talk to me about this. H- how extensive of a problem is it? So uh, hair loss uh, is very common and there are several different types of hair loss. Of course, the most obvious one walking down the street is, is male pattern alopecia. Mm. And that is kind of viewed in the, what we call the physiological range. So most people wouldn't regard that as a, 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 you know, a, a particular disease uh, entity, although the person themselves may be you know, affected psychologically by their loss of their hair. But there are many alopecias that are actually clinical disorders. Alopecia areata is one, it's kind of an autoimmune kind of condition. And there are also scarring alopecias that are also very disfiguring and can lead to a lot of uh, a high psychological burden. The problem at the moment is that there are very, very few specialists that are aware of treating uh, these particular alopecias. And of course, there aren't a huge range of medications either, although that has been improving in the last few months. And when you talk about the hairline receding uh, with gentlemen, as I, <laughs> I experience myself, I have to say, um, is it hereditary or, or, or are there aspects of this that, uh, you know, we can do something about or I should have done or others should have done about earlier in life? It's largely hereditary. So right. the, the, the best advice to give to a teenage boy uh, is really to look at both sides of the family, not uh, on the mother's side, as often the urban myth would suggest uh, the, the, uh, the responsibility lies, but on both sides. So uh, their father, their uncles on that side, and then their uncles or grandfather on their mother's side. Uh, so it's a mix of genes that, come, that comes down. There's a huge range as to when it's really, uh, you know, uh, becomes very obvious. Some would notice it already in the late teens and others would wait until their 40s before they would see a substantial change in the, in the thinning of the hair. The hair is actually uh, just miniaturized, so the, the hair follicles are largely still there, but they're not producing a cosmetically acceptable hair. Mm. And that's the bald effect we see with, with our eyes. And I don't have to remind you of the money that people are willing to spend to restore Yes, yes, and, and you know, there are a couple of, of drugs that the FDA approved many, many years ago uh, to try and slow it down a bit uh, and maybe regrow a little bit. And, of course, there's the hair restoration surgery, which is the more efficient way to do this uh, and, and also the, the, the quicker way to do this. But by, by, by relocating your existing uh, you know, hair from the back of your head uh, that's growing well uh, to the areas that aren't growing well because um, the hair can be moved uh, and keep their, their original characteristics intact when they go from the back of the head to the front of the head. The neuroendocrine research you do as well, is that different to the pigmentation area or is it uh, close by? Yes, well, I mean, the skin, uh, we would say as biologists, your skin is the brain on the outside. And so the skin is uh, invested in a a huge amount of very powerful 
um, you know, what we would call uh, biological uh, resources. So they would be, you know, uh, what we call neural and immuno and endocrine, meaning hormonal. So the skin has a lot of this uh, energy in, 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 in that particular organ. And of course, it's also linked to the brain. And that's why we get flare-ups in skin disease, sometimes around periods of, of stress, like exam stress for people who face psoriasis or eczema. So there's a very a strong link between the brain and the skin, and the skin itself has a huge amount of hardware uh, involving those very important systems of, of the neural system, the endocrine system, and the immune system. I, I'm sure you'll echo uh, many uh, opinions on this when I say to you about uh, the skin and most, uh, uh, you know, where people going to doctors with issues with their skin, they're fine. They're non-melanoma, you know, uh, issues. Yeah. But there are, of course, the more dangerous and serious ones which can develop uh, severely. What about that whole area? Is it again, you know, uh, you know, our environment, how we live, exposure to the sun, all that type of thing? Yes. Uh, well, I, I say uh, one in five, uh, one in four or one in five patients uh, going to their GP will go with the skin condition. And like you say, uh, uh, you know, only uh, some of those would be related to skin cancer. Mm. Um, and obviously within the skin cancer uh, area, we have uh, two main types. That, the cancer that affects the pigment cell, like you mentioned, melanoma, and the cancer that affects the keratin-producing cells, so basal cell carcinoma, squamous cell carcinoma. Uh, of those three, uh, melanoma has the, the much higher worry. And so if, someone, uh, if a GP would see a pigmented lesion um, in, uh, in a patient coming to see them, they would, in most cases, up-prefer in that, in, in that situation uh, because you just don't want to take the gamble of mm. getting a diagnosis wrong. Uh, so there's a very clear pathway for that uh, uh, readers should be reassured with in getting pigmented lesions seen by the appropriate specialist very quickly. But there are other common, more common uh, you know, disorders of the skin, even like pre-cancerous lesions. Uh, we call actinic keratosis uh, one of the most common one. And over a certain age, the vast majority of people will get something on their forehead or nose or ear. Uh, and, and, and they're uh, relatively easy to sort out straight away. Uh, rather than a huge amount of, of in, invasive uh, uh, in, investigation. But it's important to keep an eye on things. It goes without saying again, and if you're concerned, do go to your GP and have it checked. What about the Absolutely. more common uh, ones like eczema, psoriasis, acne, alopecia? I mentioned alopecia already, but the other yep. three. Uh, yep. Again, in an Irish context, I always think of our pale, fair skin yep. and all that goes with it. Are yep. those, again, something that's our inner genes, our hereditary, or are these things that we can contract regardless? Yes, no, um, you're right. There's a strong genetic predisposition to psoriasis and to atopic dermatitis, and you're absolutely right. They're very common. About 2 to 3% of the population in Ireland would, would um, have psoriasis, and about a third of those people with psoriasis will go on to develop an associated arthritis that we call psoriatic arthritis. Atopic dermatitis, about 1 in 8 adults would have atopic dermatitis, also known as eczema, and about 1 in 5 children may also have this. So um, some of it is um, genetic and some of it is triggered by environment. Um, so in atopic dermatitis, there can be infections, um, particularly with a bacterium called Staph aureus that can make uh, you know, the atopic patient uh, life a misery. Uh, so there is environmental um, issues that can make things worse. And um, then there's also genes. Uh, you know, sunlight, for example, uh, paradoxically, can be good for psoriasis uh, in that it can kind of calm down the, the, the inflamed skin in the context of psoriasis. Uh, so there is a kind of a, a good and bad side to sun that we always need to remember. We don't want people living under rocks. Oh, for sure. Now, on a personal level, you are from Navin in County Meath and you went to the wonderful St. Patrick's Classical School, as so many have in the town. I have to ask you, what's it like being the more famous brother of Pather, Toby? <laughs> well, I, I, I've been called many uh, names in association with Pather, but you're absolutely right. I'm a little bit in, in his shadow. He is, has by far taken uh, at least Midwest uh, uh, glory. But um, no, it's, it's great having Pather. He's the baby of the family, actually, of seven of us. Um, so it's great having him in the family. He's probably the, the calmest of us as well. So he's able to duck and dive the slings of arrow and arrows of political life. But uh, I must say, academic p- politics is also a bit, uh, mm. a bit ripe at times. So I think we've all had to, had to deal uh, with a little bit of that over the years. But no, he's, uh, we're very proud of him, clearly. 
you know, he's, he's obviously taken a, a fair burden yes. uh, doing what he's doing, and he's got his Ordesh now out in uh, Gormanstan this weekend. So uh, this is uh, in person and not like the online stuff that was happening over the last few years. So hopefully that will energise both him personally uh, and also, um, you know, the wider into community. I'm sure it will. What took you down this road to specialise in this area? That's a that's a, a, a very interesting question, but it, and it's also a kind of geopolitical question. I originally did my undergraduate in in, in uh, Maynooth, uh, wonderful experience in Maynooth, and when it was really quite a small university, it's now much much bigger. And then after that, I went to London to do a a PhD, and this was before the European Union reciprocity uh, allowed you to study in any particular country. So I I thought I was going to do cardiovascular immunology. Uh, and uh, because it was government funded, British government funded, I wasn't eligible. So I had to go for an industry funded uh, PhD project that was somewhat, somewhat related to immunology. And it was in the hair, which, of course, I would never have dreamed of moving anywhere near the hair follicle. And indeed, for a year, I almost denied the fact that I was working on hair in any sort of a party setting. So it was a geopolitical twist of fate that I ended down that road, nothing that I had ever planned to do. But I'm very happy that, that it has taken me down that road. And I've enjoyed very much the experience of it. Yeah, and you've worked extensively. You mentioned the UK there. You've also spent time in America. Yes, I had five years at New York University Medical Center. A really good place, a really good uh, support. I must, say, I must say that I had fantastic support, Jerry, in all the places that I've been, both in, in Britain and in, in the US. And I got the, the impression that if you worked hard, they, they, they helped you on your way. On, on your way. So it was uh, a great experience. And I came back to Ireland after 30 years away only four years ago. So I'm kind of uh, getting to know the, the Irish landscape a bit, a bit like a tourist, a bit like a native and a bit like a foreigner. UCD, you lost a wonderful man recently, Brian Mullins, who I had the pleasure of interviewing as well on this show some time ago, of course, in the sports area there. But as a university and, and, and where you're based there, uh, you obviously have great support here in Ireland and a wonderful team around you. Yes, I mean, UCD is a remarkable university. It's a very, very big university, bigger than the ones I've been involved with before and of course they have the Charles Institute of Dermatology mm. here which is the only dedicated centre academic centre for skin research on the island of Ireland and it came out of a, uh, a charity uh, donation actually from the for- after the sale of the former um, Hume Street Hospital some people may know the skin cancer hospital besides yes. St Stephen's Green so that was sold and half of the proceeds were set uh, to establish uh, the Charles Institute here which is a uh, you know, very generous act on behalf of, that, of the trust that had that hospital. Uh, so that's been really good in, in gathering a focus around skin disease because it really has been the Cinderella of, you know, of, of, of medicine for, for, mm. for, for too long. And yet, uh, again, to finish, the, the largest organ in the body, which we never, yeah. you know, really get our heads round. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, really? You're absolutely right. It's often seen as the kind of bag that holds yeah. all, our, all our important stuff in. But actually, it's, it's, it's the interface, you know, between ourselves and the world. And we communicate so much through our skin, both obviously visually, but also through touch and, and, and in many, many other ways. And it's often been, uh, I think, maligned a bit in terms of its importance. But definitely, if people have a skin that's not behaving well, it can make their life a misery. It certainly can. I've really enjoyed our conversation and I want to wish you well with all you do in the future. And thank you for joining me on the show. And it's great to shine a light on LMFM Radio on another member of the Tobin family. Thank you very much, Jerry. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invite. Thank you for joining me today. Professor Desmond Tobin there from UCD. Uh, what an interesting man he is indeed. And he is, of course, a son of Navin and um, fantastic work he's doing there in University College Dublin. Late lunch, LMFM Radio. Keen and everybody's changing and we change, don't we, all of the time. We certainly do. That was from their debut album called Hopes and Fears. It was a big hit for them. Number four in the UK, six in the USA, but a timeless classic on your late lunch this afternoon. Welcome to the show. If you're just joining us or tuning in uh, online on our app, the LMFM app, download it or on your smart speaker or on the traditional radio, of course, in your car or at home. Welcome to the show. Uh, June's been on to me to say hi, Jerry. 
Kerry, can you please help me? My outdoor tomatoes are still green. What can I do? They're too good to throw them in the bin. Oh, don't bin them, June. Now, Nikki Kyle's with us tomorrow and we're in the garden with Nikki and we can put it to her. But I can tell you from my own experience, the thing to do with them is take them in now, especially they're outdoors. They won't ripen anymore. And get a ripe banana or a ripe apple. And put them in a drawer. Put the apple or the banana, the ripe banana, in a drawer and close the drawer with your tomatoes. And don't open it for about a week. Then open it. And wait until you see your tomatoes. And, of course, green tomatoes. You can make chutney with green tomatoes as well. But don't chuck them out. Use them. They're too precious. They're too beautiful. The ripe banana, the ripe apple, into the darkness of a drawer. Darkness somewhere. And in about a week or two, you'll have lovely ripe tomatoes. Believe you me. It works. What about your horses and the horse names? Uh, the selection is great again today. Some of them that are coming to me, there's so many, but I'll, I'll give you a feel for what you're thinking in the northeast this afternoon. Zelensky says Des in that boy. I like that one. Good for the rhubarb. Margaret Dillon in Lobenstown. Hello, Margaret, this afternoon. Will she be home before dark? That's Margaret Dillon in Lobenstown. Love it too. Kitty Catty. That's from Kathleen Murray and Trim this afternoon. <laughs> Aren't they just great? I really, really like this one. At a snail's pace, that'll never win that horse. That's Wendy Russell. Hello, Wendy. No, nay, never. Clever, clever and baw in Kells today. My horse named Jerry is the Lucky Nag. Oh, that's what you need. Luck, Eileen, you do. Eileen Barber in touch with us with that one there. Uh, Angel Grace. My, my, my horse would be called Angel Grace. It's, I think it's Angel or Angel Grace. I think it's Grace Carroll that's coming from. So we'd say Angel is the name there. Home and Hosed. Ah, brilliant. Like that one. That's another market there. Home and Hosed. Um, Dear John. That's a good one. From Jerome O'Brien and Chairman Fekin. A play on the tractor, Jerry. Yes, and remember, we have a 50 euro ticket to give away for the Screen GFC draw. You have to go onto their website, screengfc.ie, to buy your ticket. Time is of the essence. The draw is this weekend. You know the prizes at this stage. John Deere tractor. Or €100,000 in cash. And that second prize is the ownership of a Gavin Cromwell trained racehorse for the season. So I don't know whether you'd be able to name the horse or not, but you have so many names if you win. Somebody's going to win that ticket on late lunch this afternoon. Um, Screenshot, Claire Mooney. Brilliant. Yes, screenshot. A horse with no name, says Tia Carolyn to us this afternoon. Raven. I like that one. But there's no name. I don't know who you are. Raven is the name you sent in to me for your horse today. And so on and so on they go. I'll come back to it. Just wanted to mention before we head to our next break and meet our next guest. <clears throat> I was out and about last evening in Drogheda and I have to say I came across the most beautiful mural I'd say in the town. And fair dues to the McGowan family uh, of Scholars and Peggy Moore fame. It's on the wall of Peggy Moore's pub, looking down on Hardman's Gardens, and it is of the one and only Eamon Campbell, great son of Drogheda, wonderful musician, and painter. I don't know, I, I, I can't make out who the artist is. The name, it's signed on the bottom, but you're brilliant, because it is just like the man himself, as if he was there, because I interviewed him in this studio many moons ago, not once, but twice, and it is just such a brilliant likeness of him. So if you're passing by Peggy Moore's any day, Take a look at it. I've posted it on my Facebook page there if you want to check it out. And I'll fire it around the place later on today as well on social media. But it's simply magnificent. And I'm sure Eamon's family are so proud and so delighted to see that mural. It's well, well deserved. The month of October, there's a real focus on mental health in this country and around the world. And we are focusing on it during this month as well on Late Lunch here on LMFM Radio. And today I'm delighted to welcome back to the show a very good friend of ours, psychotherapist Barbara Kelly. And she's joined by a wonderful man as well, because with her today is Michael Keelan, who is an experienced volunteer with a local mental health charity and he's studying himself uh, psychotherapy and you're both very welcome to Late Lunch. Great to see people in the studio again. Yeah, great to, great to have you with us. Thanks for joining us on the show. Now, Barbara, you're here for a specific reason because you and Michael have come together to form, a, 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 to establish, what would you say, a new project. Yeah. Will you tell us about it, please? Yeah, um, well, I suppose um, I've been working in this area now for quite a while and Something that I've noticed more and more would be, you know, obviously working as a psychotherapist, I work with people with various mental health issues. Um, but something that was was becoming more obvious were the amount of people who were coming to look for support because they were actually supporting somebody with a mental health issue. Um, and, 
you know, the more I kind of looked into it and got to know my clients, I realized there's very little support out there for people who are living with like family members or close friends, you know, um, who have those, you know, people with mental health issues. There's very little support for those people. Um, so just before COVID, I actually started up a, a, a group and we would meet once a month. And it was basically a support group for people who support those with mental health issues. Um, and it, it it was great. Um, but then obviously COVID arrived <laughs> and every, everything went on pause. And I, to be honest with you, I kind of forgot about it for a while because we were all very busy thinking of different things. Um, now, I think anybody who works in the mental health field will agree that even through COVID, our jobs were still very busy. If not, they gradually started to get busier mm. than ever. And now that we're on the tail end of all of this, and I notice, you know, the the, the need for therapy and counselling and support is through the roof. Um, and what is presenting again, and maybe it is another one of these aftermaths of COVID, is how many people who are, again, presenting and really struggling to manage looking after another person in their life and support another person. And I think maybe COVID really amplified that for a lot of people. You know, we were all shut in behind closed doors. And if you're living with somebody with a mental health issue, it's really difficult. And COVID probably really made that much more intense. So it's kind of just come back into focus again that there is a need for a group that people can meet and explore and share ideas and experiences. I really like this. I really do. Michael, tell us about you and Barbara and coming together uh, to make this happen. Yeah, well, as you mentioned, like I have plenty of years experience working with a local mental health charity and emotional support charity. And I've been back studying. I decided to pursue this as a career itself. But Lately, Barbara just approached me to help her wits reset back up this group again. I thought it was an amazing idea. Like, as Barbara was saying, like, people that are with mental health issues, they're getting support themselves. Like, but there's other people around them that really, really need that support. And I was delighted to be able to assist Barbara with this new group. And I'm excited about it. And, and you hear these stories. Do you hear these stories, as Barbara was saying there? She's aware of this. Do, you, do people come to you? Now, I know you deal directly mm-hmm. with people and help people who need the help. But do you know those others? who, who, who are Of course, yeah, around, yeah, yes. definitely. What, you get the, calls. We're in a place I volunteer. Yeah, you would yes. get the calls. And even my workplace, people have come to me in work that know what my background and they're coming to me. It's, if they come to me, it's, you know, as a normal Joe's hope that you would, there's obviously that need out there. Yeah. to really have that support mm. people. And, and I think as well um, there's, there can be quite a stigma um, towards the idea of you know if you're say a family member and you have somebody in your life that has a perhaps a serious mental health issue or mental mental health disorder there can be a bit of a stigma about speaking up and saying I'm really finding this hard or you know things are really tough at home and it's amazing there can be this sort of like, you know, well, to talk like that is kind of a bit disloyal or disrespectful against this, you know, person who has this disorder that they have no control over and everything. And it's it's almost like, well, where do those people go to say, I'm really struggling, I'm finding this really hard, maybe have a bit of a vent and say, I'm really angry because that's an emotion that often the frustration that it, that can be there. So I think... That was another thing that was really apparent was there needs to be a space where you won't be judged for saying, I'm really finding this hard. And that is the key factor. If you're listening to us today and you're affected by anything we're talking about, you know, you can contact us if you like. 86 658 by WhatsApp or text. We'd love to hear from you if you feel like you want to say something. If not, don't worry. Just listen to us because you'll have an opportunity in person to become involved. Now, Michael, what's the plan for this? Because that's a very important point. It's one thing making a phone call. It's another thing joining a forum with other people and, and speaking. So what what is this going to consist of? What's going to happen? Well, initially, we're just going to meet as a group. You know, and I always find with people themselves, they are the expert in their own lives. So we're just going to let each person, you know, say their piece. If they don't just want to come and sit there and listen, that's well and good as well. Or they want to come and chat and each person kind of shares their own stories. And I think there's great strength in sharing each other's stories. You can always find commonalities between each other and gives that, you know, they're not alone. Yeah, and that's the thing. People may have coping strategies mm-hmm. or how they get on. I may not have it, if it be the case, Barbara. But yeah. it, it's really an open forum. Absolutely. And, and and I think what Michael said is really important. That some people will, will want to come and literally just sit and listen. There is no pressure on anyone to, to have to share or anything like that. Some people will be more comfortable listening. And then there will be people who absolutely will be very comfortable to share their own experiences, to talk about what works, <laughs> to talk about what doesn't work, because there's 
loads of those things too. Um, and also, so it's just that idea. And I think it's it is about this feeling of just being seen and heard and and not being judged for saying. Sometimes I find it really hard. Um, And, you know, like we were saying about, you know, there are services out there for people with mental health issues. They aren't great, let's be honest. There's a huge amount of of, um, improvements that need to be made. But that's a whole other conversation, Jerry. We can have that another day. But the reality is for the family members of people with mental health disorders, there is pretty much zero. Even... You know, um, say, you know, people who are linked into to maybe different HSE services, even when they are provided with support, you know, sometimes you might be offered the likes of, say, family support and, and things like that. The focus is still on the individual with the mental health disorder. And even when the family are involved, the focus does still tend to be on their treatment, um, on the, the, the patient's treatment, and that the family are kind of there almost to sort of uh, with, to give more of a focus on the, the patient. The family members are, are absolutely fallen to the wayside. They are not being seen. They are not being supported. And I think but Michael and myself kind of had that feeling of, you know, but what about the family members and the people who are supporting these individuals. What about their happiness? What about their quality of life? And the reality is, if we don't look after these people, who's going to look after then the other people who really need the support? So it, it is this case of, you know, everybody has a right to be cared for in this. Care for the carers. That's Absolutely. It, isn't it, Michael? And, and that's across the board. And we're talking about mental health today, but I, I, I just have such admiration for people who care for others. It's a it's a it's a such a, you know, honourable thing to yeah. do. It's it's such a, 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 a commitment. It's a lifelong commitment, it is. isn't it? Yeah, yeah really. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I always find as well what, what Barbara's mentioning about like it's when people are trying to help other people, there's this they have to be strong, they have to be strength mm-hmm. and they're afraid to show vulnerability and they're afraid to be weaker. So that's yeah. where we're trying to set up this group, mm, yeah. just to be there for those people to help others in their lives. So what's your plans? Where and when is it happening? And you know, here's your chance to <laughs> make your pitch. <laughs> yes, all welcome. Um, well, we we were really um, so lucky that um, Natalie Kelly from the Dolls House very kindly has offered us a space. So once a month, we're going to be able to meet at the Dolls House there. Um, what's the, the name of that? The workspace? Workspace Centre, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. in Drogheda. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we're going to be able to meet there from 7.30 on the last Thursday of every month from 7.30 and the so the 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 first group will be meeting on the 27th of this month this October 7.30pm yeah. um, and yeah it'll be a really relaxed come and have a coffee have a chat or have a listen mm-hmm. There is, it's, it's going to be a very relaxed setup. And is it an open house? Open house. Open Absolutely house. for anybody who feels that they would benefit from a space um, to you know, share ideas or even just listen. Um, anybody who is supporting somebody with a mental health issue. So it's the twenty seventh of October, the the last Thursday of the month, and it's going to be the last Thursday. Uh, you, you're going to stay month. with that day yeah. of, of each month. It's at half past seven, and it's in the Drogheda Dolls House in Meralty Street, mm-hmm. the workspace centre there, and that's certainly a hub for an awful lot of yeah. things. And it's becoming, uh, you know, more so as time goes on, because it's only recently open, and it's a fantastic facility. In a general sense, while both of you are with me today and post-pandemic, we keep hearing this all the Mm. time and you alluded to it just a few moments ago about the caseload and that. The impact of COVID across the board, any age? Oh my goodness, any age. I personally have uh, the amount of parents contacting me about adolescents, um, children and adolescents is just uh, staggering the amount. Um, It's really concerning. Um, and it's it's to the point where I feel that unfortunately the public system can't cater for this increase that we're seeing. And a lot of it is literally just, you know, like we were talking about this whole idea of, you know, you put everybody into captivity and then all of a sudden everybody's <laughs> let out. Some people don't adapt as smoothly and quickly. So an awful lot of our younger people have kind of been paused in their development and now they're expected to just, you know, get back to school, be doing exams, back to normal. And it's not happening. It's not flowing in that way. So the amount of parents who are seeing the symptoms, if you like, of this, which is huge anxiety, maybe school refusal, um, really low mood, lots of things that are the symptoms of this, you know, kind of expectation that everyone's just going to suddenly readjust. 
it takes people time and I think we all need to understand this more. And if that means going and talking to somebody, go and do it. Very important to talk. Michael, you received the calls as well and you are in a real live life situation. Uh, you know, dealing with that, because I, I know you've moved into this field recently and we're often curious to put this question to you. You know what I mean? When you when you pick up that phone, you don't know who or what is on the end of or what situation you're encountering. That must be really challenging for you. It can be, but again, I can never find the exact word for it, but there's something special about being there for somebody at the most vulnerable point, you know, when they really need somebody just to, not to talk to, but just to listen to. You know, they, they get their, you know, a problem solved, a problem shared is a problem halved, yes, you know. Yes, And it's, it's something really special about that. Mm. And, I, and again, it can be anything at any stage. Yeah. It, it, no one's exempt from this, really. Yeah, not at all. No, nobody at all. No. It can affect there's any no, of no us. vaccine for it. No, I, 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 now you said it, there, mm. there certainly isn't. But there's a lot of help. And this is another step along that road. As you say, Barbara, it's it, it's a big issue. And direct supports are even difficult for people yeah. who have mental health issues. Yes. Never mind uh, those around them as well. Yeah. So again, to reassure people, open door on Thursday, the 27th of October, draw the dolls. Moralty Street, the Workspace Centre, you are very welcome to come along. And don't feel under any pressure. If you only have a cup of coffee and say hello, you'll be happy Absolutely. with that. Absolutely. We'd love that, yeah. Everyone's yeah. Welcome. Everybody welcome. I wish you well with this. And the name of the initiative is brilliant. Every Mind Matters. And that is a very important message to send out today. I say it again. I really like what you're doing. I wish you well with it. And I encourage anybody who's listening today who feels they're affected in any way, Come along, go along on the 27th of October. These wonderful people will only make you so, so welcome. But for the moment, I'm delighted to have you with me on the show. Barbara Kelly and Michael Keelan, thank you. Thank you very much, Jerry. Elton John and Britney Spears, hold me closer. Tiny Dancer. I think I preferred the original Tiny Dancer, but there you go. It's uh, been a big, big hit for them and good luck to them with it. Your horse names... What inventive people and wonderful minds you have indeed. A selection of them before we head to news, uh, weather and sport, top of the hour. Give us hope, says Anna from Drum Conrad. We all need it, don't we, Anna? Winner all the way, says Peter from South Louth. Why kick a moo cow? That's from Will and that boy. (laughs) Pipped at the post. I don't know who sent that in, but I like it too. Gone with the Wind, says Anne Weldon. Famous movie. You won't see it anymore, though, I'd say, because of circumstances. The Expert, says Joe. And Jerry, my husband was the man who broke the brilliant Frankel. What a horse Frankel was. I know that and I'm not big into it, but what a classic performer. Your husband broke that horse, broke him in. Well, there you go. Toby Nella, Porygrat, you're very clever on today's theme on the show. The Nays have it, says Alicia in Bristol this afternoon via Trim in County Mead. Hello, Alicia. Great to have you with us from the UK this day on Late Lunch. Decree me. Oh, what? what's that one there? Is it Decree me? Uh, anyway, that's from Margaret McNulty comes into me today. Uh, and giddy up, Dominic in Kells, Henrietta. Uh, my horse would be called Little Millie's Philly's Magic, says somebody else. Well, there is a mouthful. For hoof's sake, says John. Stickler. They go on and on, your horse names. We'll tell you who's won the 50 euro prize ticket from Screen GFC. <laughs> The Late Lunch Artist of the Week. Artist of the Week. Yes, my Artist of the Week this week is, of course, Rihanna. When asked about her influencers, a lot of people always like to know this. Who influenced you when you were younger? Rihanna singles out two icons, Madonna and Bob Marley. But she also mentions both Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston, who brought their talents to bear on her songwriting and career. She's regarded as a media fashion and pop icon in her own right, as one of the most influential artists of modern times. In fact, she was bestowed, listen to this, with the honorary title of Ambassador for Culture and Youth in Barbados, where she's from, where there's even a Rihanna Day each year in her honour. Yes, there is indeed. It's not quite a bank holiday, but it's a massive celebration there. It just shows you how they love this girl. She's also a shrewd businesswoman, developing fashion and beauty brands. Indeed, sportswear giant Puma engaged her as their creative director in 2016. 
and she designed and launched with them a line of clothing that's become a massive success. But back to the music today, and the song I've picked is from the album Unapologetic. It was released in 2012, becoming our 12th number one hit in the USA and a massive hit right across the world. Shine bright like a diamond. Hit after hit. After hit. certainly shines bright, doesn't she? She's a polished diamond. She's brilliant. My artist of the week, Rihanna, on your late lunch this afternoon. And we'll have more about her in words and song round about this time tomorrow afternoon. Now, who's won the 50 euro ticket for the screen draw? You can buy your ticket, screengfc.ie, a tractor, 100,000 in cash, or the ownership of a Gavin Cromwell trained horse for a year. Well, this afternoon, the horse name we really love is Road to Riches. Yes, Road to Riches. Wouldn't everybody love to be on it? And Carol is. Well done, Anne. That ticket is yours this afternoon. Thanks to everybody who's joined in the fun. You'll have one more opportunity with me on late lunch tomorrow. We're going to do it early on in the show to give you the best opportunity to get in and win. It is the biggest festival of faith in Ireland. They're expecting over 8,000 people every day for nine days between the 8th and the 16th of October. And I talk about it each year and I'm delighted to. I'm talking about St. Gerard's Novena and I'm delighted to welcome back to the show Father Noel Kyo, the rector at St. Joseph's Redemptress in Dundalk. Father Noel, welcome back. Thank you very much, Jerry, and it's great to speak to you again. And hello to all your listeners. Welcome to the show. People, I suppose, will ask this question. You know, church attendance is down, and, and that's a fact. And yet, this bucks the trend. Why? Yeah, people ask this question a lot, don't they? And uh, I think there's something very special about the the experience of, of a novena. And I think primarily it's, it's one of community, of, you know, there's so many people coming that it creates its own its own life, really, you know. And as people there, there's the singing, there's the, yes, there's the preached word, uh, there's there's the mass, but there's the petitions, and it's just that sense of community and that we're all in this uh, together. There's a lot of people struggling out there, Jerry, as, as we all know, mm. and I suppose this is a time where people can just, Maybe take a bit of time out to find some healing, to find some time for for reflection. So I think a combination of all of those things. And then, you know, the Redemptorist Church in Dundalk, if you don't mind me saying this, it's a special place. And people all year round are calling in just to find that bit of peace and to light candles and that. So it's a special place in people's hearts. Noel, you said it because it's just relentless at the moment, you know, uh, post-COVID, COVID, post-COVID, the war in the Ukraine, that atrocity we just hear about today with all those little children on the other side of the world that, you know, we it makes news here within seconds, the way this world is more connected than ever today, Noel. It's a, it's, it's a real bleak picture of you to let it in on you. And, yeah, exactly. I, and yet, you know, we can't hide away from it either. Uh, but 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 we do need to, I suppose, just to bring that and to to offer our our world at this time in in prayer and whatever people believe in, you know that that we have to find, I suppose, a safe space to to just to process all of this and um, and I suppose to learn how to maybe deal with it mm. uh, because it we are absolutely inundated left, right, and centre. I mean, our world. I think I, recently I was preaching, I went, there is a sense that it's really just been turned upside down and we see all of this move towards the far right and you wonder, is history repeating itself? And yet in all of that and in all of the chaos, um, uh, it's like Rudyard Kipling's poem, 
uh, with all the madness that's going on in the world, whatever, we have to find a space where we can just take one moment at a time or one day at a time and find our, our anchor and our, our peace um, in our own lives, you know. And that's what St. Gerard's Novena affords to people these coming nine days. May I say, I'm looking at uh, your lineup for this particular year, to use a showbiz term, in terms of who will be delivering uh, the talks. Uh, your own uh, clergy are there, of course, fathers Tommy Hogan, Brian Nolan and Brendan O'Rourke. But you have an eclectic mix of lay people too. Sure. And, and I think that that's really important. And more and more that I go on, I, I begin to, to to feel that it's important to have that diversity of voices uh, as well as not just as a one-off guest preacher, but you know as really a, as part and parcel of of the the, the novena. You know, anybody who is involved with uh, with church at the moment will have heard this word synodality. Uh, I, I mean, this is Pope Francis has been driving the, this process in all around the world, and you know what? These big words, but fundamentally, it's about people sitting down and listening to each other. And we, as church, we need to sit down and listen not just to the voices of priests or, or nuns or bishops, but we need to especially listen to the voices of the people of God, men, women. Um, people from all different walks of life and that's what Pope Francis has been asking us to do um, and I think that we need to reflect that in our novena as well so some of those people that you see there that are are, are lay preachers the, um, Helena Connolly is uh, a lady who is now the Director of Evangelization for the Redemptress in, in, in Ireland and she is a very um Really, a, a, a really wonderful preacher. She has a lot to say. She's got a lot of spirituality. Um, uh, Jim Deeds, who's coming, who's a pastoral facilitator for many of the dioceses around Ireland. Jim is an author and a poet. He has spoken here previously uh, before. Uh, and Neil Foley is a scientist from Wexford, but also joins with the Redemptorist mission teams as a lay as a lay preacher. And once you begin to get the perspectives of people who come from different professional backgrounds, but also who are mothers and fathers and grandparents, and that it brings a very different dimension mm. to our reflection on what the Church is, is called to be in this present day. And of course, you have adopted uh, Pope Francis' theme. Uh, it's his theme from a book he published called, <clears throat> excuse me, let us dream and and that is so important to to hold that dream and and hold it with us always but just uh, in case we don't get an opportunity there are special sessions for children and those who are elderly and vulnerable would you just tell us about those okay so unfortunately i mean this is wonderful this is our first in person novena in three years uh, and we are very excited about that uh, but there is still a level of concern there, especially with vulnerable people. So unfortunately, for this year anyway, we were not able to have that special sec- uh, sessions for the sick where we had anointing of all of the, the, the sick that, that came because it's just too dangerous with um, uh, with vulnerable people and the passing yes. from one person to, to the next. And so the advice that we have been given is that on the Saturday, so we will have at all of the sessions well, it'll be a day dedicated to prayer for the sick, but we won't be able to offer that sacrament of, yes. of anointing. And the same, if you remember, there was a, a two thirty session on the on the, the Sunday, and we could have had maybe five, six thousand people just at that session for the blessing of the children. And again, we were uh, we were advised not to do it that way this year, but rather to spread it out over all of the sessions. So on this Sunday coming, after all of the sessions, there will be a special prayer and blessing for for children and they'll get their medals and we really look forward to that. And there's no excuse not to join in because there are eight sessions every day, starting at 7am in the morning and running until 9 o'clock at night, right through uh, the nine days. And I suppose it's just before we finish, if you can't make it all, try and make a day or part of it. It, it's, it. It's important to be there, Noel. And, you know, just to, to come, and especially for a younger generation that haven't experienced that buzz of, of, of the novena, to bring them along for one day or two days or three days, people will be welcome to come as, as much or as little as, as they can. And indeed, for anybody who can't make it, 
It is, of course, online uh, as well. All of our sessions will be broadcast online. But we really look forward to seeing all of those old faces again that we have yes. missed so much. Uh, over this last number of years. Yeah, and that is important to say. It's the first year back in person post-COVID as well, and it's going to be extra, extra special. I know people are so looking forward to it. As always, I wish you success, and I know it'll be a resounding success. And thank you again, Father Noel, for joining me. And thank you, all your listeners. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's Father Noel Kyo, the Rector of St. Joseph's Redemptress in Dundalk. And it all begins on Saturday the 8th, this Saturday, and runs until the 16th of October. We again wish them well. Tomorrow on Late Launch, yes, Women With Opinions will chew the cud for us. Nikki Kyle's in the garden. We have Burke's banter. Sinead is back with us, yes. Sport, comedy, and more besides. And one more ticket to give away. That's uh, very, very important. So make sure to join us from 1.30 tomorrow for your Late Launch. Eddie Caffrey's coming next with The Drive want to say a big thank you to Eamon Doyle who guided me safely through the last couple of hours thanks a million Eamon and uh, we're away to get working on tomorrow and beyond and we'll see you tomorrow 1.30 bye LMFM Podcasts with CNC Carpets we bring the showroom to you or book a new showroom appointment on 0- One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on same goes for healthcare that's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 7, 6, 60, 40, 37. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.